Well, good morning. Welcome to everybody who is live at one of our three campuses or joining us online or later on podcast. My name is Taylor. I'm one of the ministers here. And in a moment, we'll open God's word for a message. Uh, But first, I think it's very appropriate that we open God's word for a prayer. Many of you are aware of a devastating earthquake on the other side of the world um, affecting Turkey and Syria. Um, Just uh, in this century, there has not been a more uh, deadly natural disaster. Late in the week, death totals had surpassed 25,000 people um, who have lost their lives. And so just a staggering tragedy. as a church, we, we are asking God for nations and generations. And that is not just missional. Uh, while we do want to see the gospel spread as God desires to cover uh, and reach every people group, every tribe and tongue, it also means that we want to align our heart with God as he cares uh, about everyone everywhere. And so um, when things like this happen, we don't, just don't have words. And so we're just going to pray some of God's word back to him. I'm going to pray a couple of verses from Psalm 31 um, as a way to uh, cry out to God, to lament, um, and to intercede for, uh, for men, women, and children impacted in Turkey and Syria. So would you bow with me? Father in heaven, holy is your name. on a day when we have been celebrating new life uh, here at our church, we also come confused, grieving, broken for the loss of life in Turkey and Syria. And so we pray for all those impacted there. Would you turn your ear to their prayers, come quickly to their rescue. Be their rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save. Be merciful, Lord, have mercy. For our world is in distress. Our brothers and sisters who are grieving, they grow weak with sorrow. Their soul and bodies are weak with grief. All of life feels consumed by anguish for them right now. Strength fails because of this great affliction. And so we pray, God, would you be their strength? Verse 22, capture some of our heart, Lord. In our alarm, we say, we are cut off from your sight. Because that's how it feels when something like this happens. We just feel like you must not be able to see us, God. You must not be able to see what's happening. In our pain and in our fear, that's how it feels. But we also claim the second half of this verse. Yet you hear the cry for mercy when we call to you for help. So hear the cries of our brothers and sisters who are grieving. And we pray, verse 16, over them. May your face shine on them. Save them in your unfailing love. 
as only you can, Lord. Would you heal? Would you redeem? And would you make space for many to grieve? We pray this on behalf of men and women and children, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, neighbors and friends, rescue workers, and many others who are there right now. And we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. All of us can continue to be praying. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, would you turn to James chapter 3? James chapter 3. So uh, here in this series, Speak Life, uh, when we started last week, we actually referenced uh, this passage, and, uh, and we'll, we'll look at it again in, uh, in, the, in the last week of the series next week. It's just one that, that has so much rich content around the power of our words. And, uh, and James uses one illustration that uh, kind of reminds me of a story from a friend of mine. Um, so he, he uh, some time ago, he was, he was on a date with his wife. Now that, that sounds fancy, but what I mean is they went to dinner and then they walked around Lowe's. So if you've ever been on the dinner and walk around the store date, that's what they were doing. And, and then he saw something concerning. One of his teenagers was calling him on his phone. And he was concerned because his teenagers don't use their phones for phone calls. So he picked it up and immediately said, what's wrong? And his teenage daughter said, there's a fire at the house. Now, he, he's trying to ask questions to understand where is the fire, what is going on. There's a lot of confusion, but, but what eventually comes out is that the fire is in a dumpster that my friend had rented to haul some things away. And, and, he, and he says, okay, so is, is the fire spreading? Is it only contained right there? Yes, it's just, just there in the dumpster. Okay, we're going to come home. And as they're getting in the car, uh, his, his teenager texts this photo. Yeah, so he drives faster than normal to get home. And as they're approaching the neighborhood, they can't see the house yet, but they can see the smoke. And when they get there, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Thank the Lord the fire had not spread, but it consumed everything in that dumpster. And when things finally settled down, uh, my, my buddy and his wife did what, uh, what fire investigators do. They try to go back to the origin, the source. How did this happen? And so they start the investigation with their kids, trying to figure out what's going on. And it was uh, my buddy's 18-year-old daughter, his most responsible child, who said, I think this might be my fault. And so it turns out that she and her boyfriend, of course there's a boyfriend involved, <laughs> were shooting exploding targets in the yard. And one of the pieces, smoldering pieces from the, one of those exploding targets flew, landed in the dumpster, and, you know, they, they, they looked at it for a second just to check. Nothing seemed to happen. They thought it'd be okay. And then they left and came back to discover this fire. And they apologized and said, I'm so sorry. But at that point, I mean, does, does it really matter that you're sorry? We've seen the devastating effects of wildfires. And thank God that that particular fire didn't spread. But we've seen too many examples. One uh, happened to hit a, a town that I used to go to uh, with, my, uh, with my youth group when I was growing up for a winter retreat. We would go every year, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And in 2016, uh, there, there was the, most, the largest forest fire in the last 100 years. It did more than 10,000 acres of damage. And some of the photos, you know, you can just see how sweeping this was. Um, 10,000 acres worth of damage, 
over 2,500 homes damaged or destroyed, and estimated over $800 million worth of destruction, to say nothing of the fact that 14 people lost their lives and 134 people were injured. Now, in one sense, that pales in comparison to what we just prayed about, but the difference between a wildfire and something like an earthquake is that the vast majority of wildfires are caused not naturally, but through human activity. In this particular Gatlinburg fire, 10,000 acres burned up, and the investigators did what they do, which is to go back and find out where did this start. And it was two teenagers who failed to snuff out one match that they lit for a campfire on the chimney tops trail. And of course, those, those teenagers, they're sorry, they apologize, but at that point, does it really matter that you're sorry? This is one of the illustrations used by James about the power of the tongue, the power of our words. Now, I want to, I want to begin where James begins earlier in, in chapter 3. In verse 2, he says something really important to set the table. He says, we all stumble in many ways. I really appreciate that James says that. Because he, he helps at the table, not as a person in, in positional authority in the church, even though he was a leader in Jerusalem. He doesn't make it about the people he's writing to. He says, this is a we problem, not a you problem. This is for all of us. And part of what that means, and I appreciate this from James, is that means that when, when we talk about this, instead of causing guilt that's focused on only, only one group, here we have a common struggle we can all relate to. So what that means is if you're live at one of our campuses right now, and maybe you're new to church, maybe you're visiting for, for baby dedication weekend or for some other reason, I, I just want to say I'm so glad you're here. And number two, if any part of you is intimidated thinking, man, some of these people, they look put together, their families look perfect, they're well-dressed, whatever, just take a, take a second, take a glance around the room just for a moment, it's okay, and then look back at me and just listen, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Everybody in here is screwed up. Everybody in here is in need of grace. We all stumble in many ways, James says, and that's true in the context of our words. It's true in the context of our life, which is why we are people in need of grace gathered under the love and saving work of Jesus Christ. Hills members say amen. amen. So having said that, James goes, this is for all of us. It's for the person preaching and the person listening and the person podcasting. It's for all of us. He then says, he talks about how the, our, 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 ter, our tongue, our words can direct our lives. He uses two illustrations we looked at last week, a bit in the mouth of a horse that can steer the animal, a rudder on the back of a ship that can direct the vessel. But then he goes not from how it can direct, but from how it can destroy. In verse 5, he says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow, James, tell us how you really feel, man. I mean, he is using uh, the strongest words he can find and, and even says that our words have some kind of a, a, a spiritual source. He says, by hell. Now, this connects to something we said last week that's worth reminding. Our words, 
The, the tongue, Proverbs 18, 21 says, that has the power of life and death. And that means that our words are always resonating with one of two spiritual frequencies, life or death. Our words are aligned with and amplifying the heart of heaven, or our words are participating in, or as James says, set on fire by hell. But I also want to take this one step further. When James uses the word hell, for those of you who, who are uh, kind of note takers in your Bible, you might circle that and, and mark that the, the word used in the original language was Gehenna. Gehenna. Now, the reason that's important is because Gehenna wasn't just uh, it's, not, it's not like the word hell that we think of, because we think of kind of a spiritual destination or reality. But Gehenna was a very real place in James's day. His readers would have known what he was talking about. Gehenna was a place that had a dark past. It was the Valley of Hinnom. And Gehenna had this dark past in Israel's history. When some of God's people had turned away from him, worshipped pagan idols, and one idol in particular, the god Molech, they would go to Gehenna and sacrifice their children on fiery altars to this pagan god. Absolutely horrendous. And this was in the past, and, and, and the people knew that happened at Gehenna, that abhorrent evil worship. But it didn't just have a dark past. As a result, it had a noxious present. Gehenna became, out of its reputation, a place where things went to burn. So if there was a war and there were lots of corpses that needed to be incinerated, that happened at Gehenna. And then if there was uh, trash or refuse that needed to be thrown out, that happened at Gehenna. And it was a smoldering fire, this city dump and incinerator all in one outside of Jerusalem in this stinking valley that when you walked by, the, the smell was so vile it would make you wretch and catch your breath. This is the imagery that James is pulling from. When he says our words are set on fire like Gehenna, it's as if you take the worst of human decisions and put them on display and set them ablaze. That, James is getting at, is what can happen when we lose control of our words and when they spark these wildfires. And by the way, I just want to say, as we started this series, I was grateful to many of you who reached out both in person uh, online, through messages, writing in, saying, I'm grateful for this topic because my life has been one marked by people who just tried to set my heart on fire with their words, who said such harmful things that I still carry some of those wounds. See, we, we, we all have those, those things we can resonate with. And yet it's not just what's been said to us. James continues in verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We get the point, James. I mean, it, it, when I read his words, it's like, it's like, our, it's like he's, he's like the tongue. It's like this tube of toxic toothpaste and these words come out and you just, you can't put them back. You can't get them back. How many of us could share moments when something, something was spoken in one moment and you just, man, you just fired off and, and you, you were in an argument, you were stressed, you were frustrated, you were angry, you got some bad news and all of a sudden directed at somebody or about somebody, you just, and then... And you, you can't unsay those words. We all know that. 
And when it's said to someone in a way, in a moment of anger that, that harms them, we can apologize, but the spark has already been set ablaze. The damage has already been done. And while we might sincerely say we're sorry, at that point, does it really matter? This can be corrosive in our lives and in our relationships. And now James summarizes with this. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear, bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. In summary, James pulls from the concept of a, a spring and what kind of water are you drawing from it, a, a, a plant and what kind of fruit can you pluck from it. And it's interesting the, the way James talks because at first he talks about the tongue like it's some, some, like, like an animal that needs to be tamed, like it's something else. You ever had those moments you, you say something and later you're like, where did that come from? You try and apologize and you're like, I'm sorry, that, I'm, that, that's not me. I, that, I just, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. And then despite this frustration, James still says, yeah, but there is a place that it's coming from. He uses an illustration about these plants and the crops that they bear, the fruit they bear, that is strikingly similar to something Jesus said. I actually think James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, is drawing from what Jesus taught. And I want to show it to you in Luke chapter 6. In Luke 6, Jesus is delivering what's known as the, the Sermon on the Plains. And, and it's, it's similar in some ways to what Jesus preaches in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And as he's teaching... Here's what Jesus says. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Now read these last words with me, if you will. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Oh, oh Jesus finished by making it plain. The point of the illustration is, for those taking notes, the content of our words reveals the condition of our hearts. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The content of our words reveals the condition of our hearts. And one translation says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if our words are like wildfires, spark, sparking wildfires, something causes the spark. And in Jesus' teaching, the match that was struck was struck in your heart. If, if our words could be like salt water or like fresh water, we're pulling from some wellspring and the wellspring is in your heart. If our words are the fruit Jesus says our heart is the roots. 
So here's what that means for every single person listening to the sound of my voice. That means we don't have temper problems. We have heart problems. We don't have gossip problems. We have heart problems. We don't have lying problems. We have heart problems. We don't have a profanity problem. We have a heart problem. We don't have a a problem with our sense of humor. We have a problem at the source. And Jesus says, the source is your heart. The heart is one of the most talked about themes. It's one of the most developed themes in all of scripture. There's over a thousand references to the heart. Now for us as modern listeners, we understand intuitively part of the illustration. But in but modern day, we, we often think of the heart as kind of the seat of like the desires, the affections, and so our heart's very relational and emotional. But for the Jewish mind, it was more than that. The heart, if you took kind of how we talk about our gut, like, man, I've just got this gut feeling, this gut instinct, and you mix that with how we talk about the heart, all of that compressed together, that was the heart, the, the inner core of who we are, the seat of our personhood, the hub of our life. And everything that happens comes from the heart. This was the Jewish mindset. You can see this in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So part of what this means It means that whatever is coming out of us is not just caused by the circumstances we are in or the people we are around. Let's just get real for a second. For some of us, we can speak life plenty, plenty, and then all of a sudden something frustrating happens and, oh, now it's coming out. That was not caused by the circumstance or by the issue or by the obstacle. That was something in here. That's what Jesus says. For some of us, we can speak life in 80, 90% of our lives and we are a nice and encouraging and kind person. But then, man, there's that one person. You get around that, that one coworker, that one frustrating boss, that one teacher who who comes down on you in class or, or that one sibling, that one family member and they know how to push your buttons and you think, I don't have a heart problem. I got a them problem. And Jesus goes, actually reverse that. No, no, it's coming when, when we're in conflict with somebody and something comes out of us, they did not put that there. Jesus says, that was in your heart because it just came out of your mouth. Now, from here, here's the temptation. I believe that one of the temptations is to uh, look for easy or surface solutions for something that Jesus says is a deeper issue. And one of the ways we could do that here is to go, oh, okay, if Jesus says that the content of my words, that reveals the condition of my heart, I just need to fix my words. If I fix my words, then, then reverse engineer that and I'm fixing my heart. The challenge is that that, that that is what's called behavior modification. Now, I want to be clear. When we, when we follow Jesus, when we give our life to God, he will begin to change and invite us to change our behaviors. Absolutely. But the way he gets there is not beginning with our behaviors, but going to root causes. Because if we say, hey, let's just fix our words. So we do a series called Speak Life, and now I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change out some of my cuss words for some of those Christian cuss words that are kind of the PG soft cuss words. I'll just do that. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna adjust some things. If we do that, 
then to use Jesus' metaphor of the tree that bears fruit, it would be like coming up to a rotten tree and going, mm, okay, I, I, I need to fix this. I got to fix some things that are on the branches. And so you go and bring, buy, buy a fresh, a, 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 a bucket of fresh apples, bring it. And then you just start nailing that to the rotten tree. And I'm going to fix my words and this is going to make it better. And if you back up, that tree looks like it's producing good fruit. But the problem is what every one of us knows the presence of fresh fruit nailed to those branches did nothing to change the nature of the tree, right? And man, it's, it is tempting in church to get into behavior modification and start nailing fresh fruit to dead limbs. Oh, but Jesus, Jesus has no interest in that solution. He has interest not in fixing what we say to try and fix our heart, but in letting God do a transformative work within us. Not behavior modification, but heart transformation. And so the question is, how do we participate with God in that work? Because there's part of that work only God can do, and we'll get there in a second. But first... I want, to, um, I want to show you a way this week that you could, like those fire investi investigators, go back to, to find the source. Trace that wildfire back to base camp. When you have a reaction, when some, something comes out of your mouth, when you, you leave a situation and feel like, oh man, these are the things I wanted to say, trace that back. And here's how you can do that. Um, so just take an inventory of your words this week. When you, when you see, uh, this is an internal exercise, when you see that something came out and you're like, where did that come from? Man, trace it back because Jesus says it's a heart issue. And here, here are five diagnostic questions that you can use. These are from author and pastor Rich Velotas, who actually was a guest preacher at men's conference. Friday morning of men's conference, he spent a couple hours with our uh, elders and ministers, and he shared these five questions from his book, The Deeply Formed Life. And so I want to share them with you now. Here are these five diagnostic questions. What happened? What am I feeling? What's the story I'm telling myself? What does the gospel say? And what counter-instinctual action is needed? This week, I just invite you, ask yourself those questions when something comes out of your mouth that makes you go, whoa, where did that come from? And, and I'll, I'll share a story from, from my life as, as an example of, of working through this. So it, this has been a little bit ago, but I, I was playing with both my kids, and we were tussling and pillow fight. And, and all of a sudden, um, one of my children, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and I won't tell you which one it was because really it could have been either one, but they bit me. And, uh, and it happened at a moment where they, they bit my arm. And it wasn't like a little nibble. It was like they clamped down on the muscle on my arm. And in retrospect, as a dad, I'm so proud of how strong their jaw is. <laughs> but it, it hurts so bad. And it's caught me off guard, too. So... Uh, after after I, I just like ah, reacted, then parents, you know that moment where something happens, you're like, I got to walk away. I got to walk away right now. I, I'm seeing red. I'm angry. And I, I got I to get away from this kid right now because I don't want to react. And at the same time, as I'm walking away, trying to control my body, I turn and then I just let loose for a second. And I put that kid in their place. 
saying how angry I was and how, how unacceptable that behavior was. And that's not something we're going to, I can't believe you just, and then I did, but I was speaking from anger. And I left and I had to kind of take inventory as I stormed off into the bedroom for a second. And, and using these questions, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just walk through it. What happened? Oh, my kid bit me. What am I feeling? Anger, immense anger. What's the story I'm telling myself? As I walk away, the story I was telling myself in my heart was, it's my job to make sure they know that should never happen again. Otherwise, I'm not a good parent. What does the gospel say? The gospel says that mercy triumphs over judgment and that God transformed my heart and teaches me as his son through mercy and grace, not condemnation. So what was the counter-instinctual action needed? That day, it was for me to come back and repent in front of my family, to repent to God and to ask forgiveness of each family member because it happened in front of the whole family. In that process, what God allowed for me was to trace back to base camp some things that, man, they've, they're trying to hide in my heart, but they don't belong, and just bringing them to the Lord. This week, for each one of us, instead of just focusing on some behavior modification, allow God to, to take you back to the source and to lay before him, God, these are the things that I'm carrying. These are the, these are the issues I have in my heart that are coming out of my mouth. And the good news is God, God knows that we struggle with this. He knows that we live often with divided hearts. Like the Israelites, we go back and forth between two opinions. Like Jesus talking to a church in Revelation. Sometimes we're, we're, we're neither hot nor cold. We're lukewarm. And Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. We don't need to live that way. With, with, undivided, with, with divided hearts. So God's promise to Israel and to us in Ezekiel 11 was, I will give them, read those words, an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from, their, from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. God's the one who does this. Through his saving work, through the presence of his spirit, he changes our hearts. We don't do that part. And how would God do this? Well, as we saw last week, the word became flesh. And God became like one of us, lived in and among our world where we all stumble in many ways, but Jesus never did. He lived wholehearted in grace and truth and love. And then Jesus would face the wildfires of accusation and deceitful claims and a condemning crowd and betraying disciples. And even when he was taken outside the city and put up on a cross, everyone around threw wildfire at him mocked him, cursed him, tried to shame him with their words, and all Jesus continued to speak was forgiveness. 
from his heart. Cries of anguish to his father. What Jesus did on the cross, it makes me think about those who, who, uh, who are firefighters who go to fight forest fires. When they parachute down, one of the first things that they've learned to do sounds, sounds kind of crazy, but what they'll actually do is they will burn a specific area before they go to fight the fire. They'll burn that area, which sounds insane. Why are you causing more fire when you're trying to go stop one? But they do that so that when they go to fight the fire, if, if things become overwhelming, the flames rise too high and start moving, they will retreat back to this burn site because it is their place of refuge. The fire has nothing to burn there. Follower of Jesus, for you and I, our heart is transformed when we see that God himself came and through the cross became our burn site where no matter what the fires of hell would try and do to us, we can retreat at the foot of the cross where Jesus, Jesus was burned on our behalf. Jesus was crucified. Jesus took our punishment. Jesus took the pain. Jesus took the judgment. And through there, sin has nothing to burn at the foot of the cross. No, Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. There is no claim Satan can make on your life at the foot of the cross. It is your refuge, your safe haven, where nothing else can reach you and where your heart is transformed again. Because you see what your Savior did for you. You see the Father's love for you. And through Jesus' death, his burial and resurrection, we have hope that he is still transforming us today. There are still new mercies every morning. And from that place, now we don't, we don't just have to try and play defense against the things that come into our heart, but offense. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I've loved hearing about many of you this week who were speaking life by speaking God's word, praying God's word, reading God's word out loud. That wasn't just something you were, you were saying to God. It was also something that was beginning to be stored in your heart. And so here's, here's a, another simple way to speak life this week because when our hearts are transformed, when we see the saving work of Jesus Christ, Man, we can't help but give thanks and praise. So this week, speak life by giving thanks and praise to God. Out loud, it's just a, a, simple, a simple way to continue to speak life. The internal exercise is to ask yourself those five questions when you react in ways that make you go, where did that come from? But the external practice is to speak life by giving thanks and praise to God. I love what Psalm 86 says, Lord, teach me your ways and I will live and obey your truths. Help me make worshiping your name the most important thing in my life. My Lord God, I praise you with all of my heart. I will honor your name forever. And so maybe for you that's singing aloud a worship song to God in the morning or on your drive home from school or from work. Maybe that's something you already do. Or maybe it's to take sentences you might normally say, man, man I'm, I'm, I'm grateful today, and you name something you're grateful for. But I would, I would invite you, because I, I was reflecting on my own life and realizing there's times where I just socially truncate that sentence. And I still say I'm thankful. I still say I'm grateful, but I leave out two words. 
to God. So let me just invite you to speak life by naming the one to whom you're thankful. At school, at work, your neighborhood, somebody asks how things going. And to say, man, I'm, I'm grateful to God today for, and to say whatever it was you were gonna say anyway. And from that place, we'll continue to be speaking life, pointing people back to the source. But James says every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so we wanna name that it comes from him, that he is our reason to be grateful because of his saving work and because of his continued sustaining today. Would you bow with me? Lord, we, we, we thank you. Thank you for your saving work on the cross through your death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus. We thank you that you are alive. And we praise you for who you are. The God with all truth, all justice, all righteousness, all love found in you. You are perfect, Lord, holy and worthy of praise. Would you teach us to trace back into our hearts places that cause things to come out of our mouths and just, just to lay those things before you. But would you also lead us in speaking life as we give thanks and praise to your name for your glory and in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.